Hey GP learners, do you want quick tips to do video consultations quickly, safely and effectively? We're going to cover that for you right now. Let's tech enhance your primary care and learning. If this is the first time we're meeting, I'm Dr. Gandalf of EGP Learning, where I look at supporting you with technology-enhanced primary care and learning. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about my quick tips for delivering video consultations. So this will be useful whether you've just started, like many of our professional colleagues, or whether you've been doing it for a while and just want some extra refinement tips to try and help you. I hope you find this really useful. And as always, if you've got any comments or questions, send them to me, whichever platform you prefer, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know all of them. And definitely make sure you subscribe and ring the bell to get notified of all of our content first and foremost. And if you leave me a comment, I guarantee you reply. Anyway, should we get straight to the episode? Shall we begin? To try and help you with this, I'm going to talk about various different ways that you can improve the way you deliver video consultations with your patients. I'm going to refer to some slides just to give us some help and stuff, so feel free to have a look at those, but you should still see me in the bottom corner of this kind of video session. When looking at video consultations, it's important to look at the setup of video consultations themselves. Now, I appreciate many practices have probably rocketed past this stage in trying to deliver the challenges that we currently have with coronavirus and everything, but it's still important to consider them. So first and foremost, what type of consultation is suitable for a video consultation? Now clearly, because we are trying to limit our contact with patients both for their safety and for ours, this is a massive shift that many practices are having to consider, but there are some simple rules of thumb that are worth considering. So number one, if you can do it by telephone, you can probably do it by video consultation. And that's an easy and simple rule to live by. There are some situations where video consultations, I think, will add extra flavour. So it allows you to see the patient and allows the patient to see you. Yay, that's good. And that can often be useful when you try and make a clinical assessment, particularly things like skin and for muscle joints and for mental health consultations. There can be real benefit from adding a video element. But be aware of some of the restrictions that do apply, particularly for skin things in relation to it being a medical device. I guess the important question is what type of consultation should you not consider via video consultation? Key things to look at there, if the patient's confused and unable to use the technology, if the patient is so anxious that they can't use the technology, and that can be the case with using a video format over a telephone format sometimes, and if you're dealing with intimate areas as well. I am aware that sometimes some people do feel that is appropriate to do with the patient's consent, but make sure you do clearly have patient consent to do so, because that is obviously a grey area, I would say. Next important thing to consider is what equipment do you have in order to deliver video consultations? So we need to think about hardware and software. When we talk about the hardware, well, you kind of need a couple of things. So number one is obviously a computer. Number two is an internet connection. And number three, basically a webcam and microphone element to things. Now, potentially you could do this through a smartphone. However, clearly documenting a clinical system may be a bit more challenging if you're just delivering it through a smartphone. But you could use one to deliver your video consultation module part of things. And that's how like companies like Accurix and other kind of companies are currently helping primary care do so. The other option is obviously to have a separate webcam. And this would always be my preference when trying to do video consultations, partly because it allows a better audio system, generally speaking, than using inbuilt microphones in laptops. And let's face it, most desktops don't have microphone module but also allows you to position the webcam in a more effective way that gives you better visuals, both for yourself and to help understand things with patients. It's important to look then also at the software that you need to consider, which system you use. To be honest, there's loads out there. I'm a big fan of things like Acurix, QDoctors, those kind of platforms to try and help practices, but it's important you use what's effective for you and in practice. Key point to recognize 
System 1 have just delivered their AirMid system that allows video consultations to occur through the system directly. Haven't had a chance to test it fully yet, but it looks really promising. And for System 1 users, yay! If you did want more information about things like the equipment and that kind of stuff, feel free to check out my video coming up now about the webcams you may want to consider when doing video consultations. Next thing to consider is things like distractions and that kind of stuff, and particularly how you're going to manage them in practice. This is really important because you're going to get interrupted at points potentially, especially if you're on call, and how you manage that is really important. So having a mechanism for communication between your team whilst you're still consulting that doesn't break up the consultation is really effective. I'm sure we all remember the BBC video where the person had his young child running into the room. Really don't want situations like that. So managing those kind of inputs are really important. I think the other thing really important to consider though is with practice having rocketed through this whole process is things like policies and protocols of how you're going to manage the workflow. This is really important because actually one of the challenges you're going to have with delivering video consultations is what do I need to do if I need to do this? Examples are obviously prescriptions, sick notes, paperwork, organizing re results and stuff for patients to collect and things. How is that going to be effective? And having a look at how you're going to do that in practice is going to be really important. So make sure you consider these policies and protocols first. Worth having a discussion with your team as well. Don't try and fix it from one aspect. Try and fix it from the whole aspects. And maybe even with patients seeing how they've got on with it and things. It's important to remember the whole concept of on-site versus off-site working as well. So you can deliver video consultations within your own practice quickly and effectively. I know many places are looking at doing this. However, increasingly, we may need to look at remote working to try and help support this. Now, obviously, some of the digital first companies have got this kind of sorted. They've been doing it for the past couple of years. So learning from some of their lessons are important. However, with the current COVID situation, this is obviously something we need to really look at. And I guess with that issue of people working off-site, how are you going to then manage seeing patients face-to-face? -face? It's an important thing to consider when you've got patients being seen through a video consultation method and they do actually need a face-to-face -face consultation, whether that's being admitted to hospital, whether that's being seen in the practice, or follow-up route and stuff. How is that going to work? And having a clear idea of that, really, really important. And finally, when you're setting this all up, try and test things with both patients, with staff, and myself to make sure everything's working quickly and effectively it will really make your life a lot easier if you've done so. Anyway, let's now talk about actual consultations. So when you're starting off, what do you need to consider before you start the consultation? Let's have a look. So when you're actually starting a consultation, first thing you really need to do before you even get cracking is to make sure you've got a good environment to do so. So is the room appropriate for a video consultation? Now in practice, Things to consider are things like the air conditioning that may be running in the background, or if you've got lots of light coming in from one area and not in another, and therefore affecting the visuals. Simple things really to consider, but also make sure it's not in a busy environment. So for example, doing a video consultation in the back of the reception area, really not going to be ideal on things. It's really important to also make sure you test all the equipment beforehand to make sure it's all up and running. Things like going to the wrong printer, things like the webcam not working, all those kind of things can be really frustrating when it happens, put you a heightened sense of anxiety, and it just makes the whole process a lot less effective. And to help with that as well, limiting distractions. I talked about communication between your staff and yourself, but also communication with others. So switch off things in the background, phone, put it on silent so that you're not getting distractions in that route. Again, really frustrating if that happens when you're mid-consultation flow. And it's kind of the similar principles you would work in practice as well. It's really important to consider your appearance when you're doing video consultations because the patient can now see you. This is a massive difference to when you're doing telephone consultations where most clinicians will carry on doing potentially other kind of things whilst trying to consult with patients through a telephone media. And actually the patient can't see what you're doing, so that's not a bad thing sometimes. But video consultation, completely different. 
they can see you. So it's important looking at how you're going to do that. Couple of quick tips. Um, don't wear sharp stripy clothes kind of thing because that actually has an impact when people look at you. So I'm wearing a kind of stripy patterned shirt and stuff. But if I was doing video consultations, it's important to wear something that kind of covers that because the worst case scenario, you could trigger things like migraines and I guess even worse epileptic attacks if you've got really severe patients that have those kind of conditions. But also it just looks unappealing and it leads to an impact in terms of the connection that you have. It's also worth looking at the amount of light that you've got coming into the room that you're doing video consultations from. Because actually if there isn't enough light, the patient can't see you, what's the point in doing video consultation then in that sense? It's also worth looking at the background as well. So we talked about light and stuff, but also just checking the background itself to make sure there's nothing that's potentially at risk. Obvious things, having patients notice in the background and stuff. You may not consider it, but always worth doing a quick scan before you start consulting through a video format. Other ones, urine pots, all those kind of things that don't look professional when you're starting off. So next we're going to talk about the skills that you need to employ during a consultation via video format. I like to split this up into effectively four different things, the two D's and the two E's. So when we look at the first D, it's detail. And there are various things you need to remember to do. So I like to call the first part the grid. So that's the groundwork. So effectively making sure you've got everything ready and set and also that you've scanned the reason for the patient coming in. And that may even include looking at the patient's notes to have a better idea. Next is review. And this is more specifically the actual reason they're having the appointment. Now, often in most situations, you will have some pre-triage information, whether that's through the system, whether that's through the reception team that have got some information and stuff, but just checking that. And again, making sure you've looked at the records effectively. Alerts, that kind of stuff. Is the patient have issues like, for example, learning difficulty that may mean that the video consultation is not the most effective way of doing that. And then it's the ID check. So when you start talking with the patient, often people get issues with the whole connection side of things. But it's also important to make sure you're speaking to the right person because you don't really have that same level of authority from them walking into the practice. So simple things. And I always recommend a three point review. So name, date of birth. And typically first line of address are good ways to do. You can also use other things like email address and stuff to help give you that ID. Next part that's also important to do, which is separate to most consultations, is doing a privacy check. So this is simply saying to the patient, are you somewhere private so we can talk about your health? It's important to recognise this because the patient may not be. Also worth checking to see if there's other people in the room that may be there because the patient wants them to be there. So this can be family, relatives, that kind of stuff. But it's important establishing that at the start of the consultation, partly so you're not surprised, but also so that you've got potentially ideas of other people that may be able to help the patient when it comes to things like examination and that kind of stuff as well. For those that are working in a work environment and they're having a video consultation there, again, important to recognise what to do if they do get an interruption themselves that makes the consultation a bit more challenging. And sometimes you can tell this by the demeanour and the way that the patient's talking to you, if they're talking in a hushed voice, actually, is this the best place for you to be talking to the patient? I always recommend patients use headphones and that kind of stuff to help facilitate the consultation if that's the case. The next thing is picking up on visual cues that you get from the patient. So I mentioned earlier, if they're talking in a hushed voice and crouched over and stuff, I'd probably suggest not somewhere private, but you can pick up so many visual cues when you're doing a video consultation. Things like levels of discomfort, respiratory rate, able to see what they're doing and how they're sitting and that kind of stuff. That is information you can pick up as well as their environment. One of the real powers of home visiting is that you get to see the patient's home environment. Well, video consultations enable a little bit of that as well. So you can see what the patient is like. Are they actually mobilizing? How dirty is their house? That kind of stuff, which may all be valuable information to help you understand how best to help the patient. The second D is document. And there's a couple of things you need to consider when doing this. So number one, 
How are you going to type your notes during the consultation? My big tip for many people on that is to have a headset. You'll be surprised how much difference this makes. So this could be one that's connected either to your phone system or direct to the computer, hardwired or Bluetooth. So this is a Bluetooth headset and simply it has the mic and the headphone elements of things. So it means I've got good audio and they can hopefully hear me quite effectively because the microphone is right next to my mouth. But the other reason for doing this is that I don't hear as much of the keyboard as I'm typing. And you'd be surprised how much difference that makes when that's not the case. Because it means you can carry on doing the consultation and not worried about that interrupting the flow. It really does make a difference. And I recommend giving it a try. And you'll find hopefully that your consultations flow and work a lot quicker. Additional thing to consider as well is how you can document information. So, for example, in our current times with COVID, having a quick auto consultation that says done by video consultation because of the coronavirus may help from a legal standpoint down the line because we may not remember this in three years time. I think we will, but you never know. But also having common documentation, things that you're doing available quickly and effectively. So you're saving your time. Things like uh, confirmed patient's ID, three point check, that kind of stuff. And as long as that's part of your regular practice and you can prove that, that's fine to use. Important, there is a probity element of obviously making sure you are saying what you're saying. But you could even use this with things like safety netting and other kind of processes. Like, for example, patient arranged appointment through our normal process and task sent. Quick auto consultation that just saves you having to document things. I really recommend looking at these. If you want some more details, there's some stuff on the EGP Learning site about our support pack that has templates for this. If not, use the system specific things like auto consultations, macros, or text expanders that you may have in practice. Templates are always a good one. So we talked about the two Ds, let's talk about the two E's. So the first is explain what you're doing and why. So often this can lead to some kind of element of breaking the rapport. So if you're constantly looking at the screen when you shouldn't be, or if you're documenting things and the patient may think that you're not listening to them. So explain when you are going to do that, just like you kind of would in a normal consultation when you turn towards the computer to get information, just explain it to the patient. If you're saying to them, I want you to show me something, explain to them why you want to do that, because it would just give a better connection. Let's talk about the connection. And I've put this under the badge of empathy, which is our second E. So right now, I'm looking directly at my camera, filming this for you. And if you're looking at me, you'll see that it should look like I'm looking at you. Important to remember when you're doing video consultations, most people will tend to look at their computer screen, either where the visual of the patient is or the notes and stuff. And the problem with that is you get a bit of a disconnect. And if you keep doing that, don't really build empathy over a consultation. And one of the powers of a video consultation is that it allows you to develop that level of empathy over and above what a telephone consultation can do because the patient can see you and you can see the patient. I really recommend trying to look at the camera itself rather than the screen. And a quick tip to help you do that, if you are using a separate webcam, is simply to stick it on a stand and put that where the patient's image on your screen would be. So for example, if you have a screen here, I would put my webcam here. And when I'm looking at the patient, I'm now looking at the webcam. And they kind of feel like it's the same thing. It's a really useful tip and you do kind of need an extra stand sometimes to do that. Unless you've got a laptop that sits in front of your screen. Possible. I don't know. Depends on your setup. But having that just allows a better empathy check and enables you to do this. I wouldn't say this is a must do. I, th I would say this is an extra tip to try and enhance the way you're doing video consultations. If it's easy for you to do it by looking at the screen and doing it that way, fine. Just tell the patient that's what's happening. And you'll see this when you have WhatsApp calls with your friends and family. It kind of doesn't always work so well. And as by nature of that, you tend not to look at the screen the whole time. You tend to do other things whilst you're on a video call with friends and family. Think about it. 
Additionally, it's about being able to have the patient see you as well and you seeing them. So you can ask them to show you things quite quickly and effectively. For example, if you wanted to examine a joint, it's actually possible to do that over a video consultation. You may not get the same elements of things like palpation, but you can definitely inspect and you can see movement. So for example, if you want to check internal external rotation of the arm, you can get a patient to do that and you can talk them through the process. If you wanted to check their respiratory rate, you can do that. Important to remember the power that video consultations can offer you. We're now going to move on to the ending of the consultation. So the first thing to do is to confirm the actions. This is always good as a sense of being able to review and summarize the points that patients have made and that you have made. So you've got a plan for the action. I always recommend you do this and it helps to coordinate your documentation as well that you're hopefully doing at the same time. It's important to recognize how you're going to plan for your follow-up. So are you going to be sending text messages to patients with information like their Med3s or leaflets for them to look at or sending electronic prescriptions and stuff, but informing the patient how this works because you don't want them coming to the practice unnecessarily, for example, to try and prevent that. And also qualifying the aspects of follow-up. So particularly safety netting and stuff. For example, with our COVID situation, we know that there tends to be a flare of the symptoms sometimes at day eight or so. And that's where potentially the respiratory issues can be quite severe. Having seen the patient before that and saying, actually right now, yes, you're coughing, you've got a little bit short of breath, you're okay. When it changes, this is where you need to think about and how what you need to do at that point. And this is how it's going to change. And this is how you're going to live. Using those kind of information can be really powerful and useful to help with the current situation. And then it's really important that you close the call. So actually say to the patient, I'm going to be hanging up. And the reason for this is sometimes patients can then feel that they've just been left. And it's really easy to think about doing this because we're so busy right now trying to deal with everything else that you can forget that actually doing that can therefore mean that the patient has a poor experience and may not want to use video consultations again, which if we're having to do this for a while, kind of want to make sure patients are on board with this as much as you are. And that's where it's then important to look at satisfaction. So was this suitable for the patient? Was this suitable for you? And I think this is something that practices do need to consider. I appreciate many people are focusing on how to do the work right now, but looking at how you can do this effectively and safely is still just as much of the important. And being able to debrief with your colleagues, actually. I know many of our colleagues have started doing telephone and video consultations fresh, never having done them before. Get some feedback from your colleagues. Speak to them in the opportunities that you have this is how well one went well, this is how one didn't go so well, could I have done differently? Talk to people within your practice or your networks to figure out all different ways and more effective ways that you can find, particularly the wording of the way that you do things to try and get patients to help understand stuff. It's important then you sort out all your admin stuff to try and make sure the consultation is done. So if you said you're going to refer the patient, obviously do that, that kind of stuff. Working remotely, clearly important to make sure that's all done because you don't want these things coming back to the practice when you're not around, particularly if you're offering extra care to services and stuff like that. And then get ready for the next one, really. Um, it's important to make sure that you are in the right headspace to keep going. It can be quite tiring doing video consultations because you're still on. You're engaging with screens, multitasking, something I hate doing, but actually making sure you are ready for the next video consultation is really going to be important and how you do that is important as well. So make sure you've had a break after you've done a few. I appreciate things are busy, things are chaotic. Look after yourself. Your own well-being is really important. So I hope you found that really useful. As always, I've got some extra content that people can look at. So I've got an extra video that gives you my top five tips for doing video consultations. So much more shortened version has gotten quick tips of what you need to consider. 
Also, if you want resources for patients, I have a couple of videos that show patients how to deal with online consultations and one for starting a video consultation using the Accurate system. But to be fair, that's valuable for any system. And you can always send this to patients beforehand to get them on board of what they need to do. And feel free to check out our recent information with Dr. Trisha Greenhalgh that we've done that shows some of the evidence behind acute video consultations and how that may work in practice. As always, if you've got any comments or questions, feel free to contact me. More than happy to answer any of your questions, whichever platform you prefer, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, for example. If you are listening on the podcast, I hope you found this a really useful episode and leave a comment and review on iTunes if you can. And as always on YouTube, make sure you click subscribe, ring the bell, and definitely leave me a comment. I guarantee you a reply. All of the links and videos and stuff I've mentioned will be in the show notes, so feel free to check those out. And as always, EGP Learning is here to help save you and your patients' time by tech enhancing your primary care and learning. Catch you in the next episode.